Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Mike. And we're Lost in the Sunnydale Stacks. This is the Sunnydale Stacks, where every other week we immerse ourselves in the world of Sunnydale, California, and review two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This week, we're dusting off Out of Mind, Out of Sight, and Prophecy Girl. And we even have a mascot for this Mm -hmm. week. I brought out my Prophecy Girl action figure Uh to keep watch over us. This I actually purchased to go on top of my wedding cake. So on our wedding cake, Buffy held hands with Batman. (laughs) And uh, I'll post a picture of that on social media so people can see for proof that I really had Buffy on my cake. Mm Before we get started on this week's episodes, I want to give a major shout out to a pair of our fans. Frankie and Rufus are a musical duo, and they're just amazing. Mm -hmm. They wrote us a theme song, guys. (laughs) Seriously, it's the coolest present I've ever gotten. I know. We will most definitely share links on social media, but in the meantime, be sure to check them out at frankieandrufus.com. They have an extensive collection of work, and it's seriously great. They recently did a theme song for our sister podcast, Mm -hmm. Haiti Remember, and I can't get it out of my head. I wake up singing it every morning. They're like the Alan Thicke of podcasts. There you go. I know Frankie and Rufus are big Buffy fans, so I'd like to take this opportunity to extend them a formal invitation to join us on the show as guest hosts. It would just be awesome to have you guys on. I'm sure we can work out something with Skype or whatever. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think it would be a lot of fun. If nothing else, we could do a musical episode. That would be very fun. Yes! As previously mentioned, I can't sing, so I'll do a dance routine like Dawn. Well, I can't really sing either. The last musical I performed in, I was the titular dead body. So we'll leave it all up to Frankie and Rufus. They can carry Mm -hmm. us. Yeah. We'll be the non-singing parts, the butchers and such. Now let's head into the Sunnydale Stacks and open the books on Out of Mind, Out of Sight. about the title because I can almost guarantee I'm going to say this incorrectly at some point in time tonight. Yeah, I always flip it. I feel like it's one of those things where you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not going to... It's not like it's it's something that's going to easily be confused with another episode or another phrase. Well, I realize that when it comes to the very first episode, mm-hmm. the title is Welcome to, Hel- Welcome to the Hellmouth. Yeah. I think in every instance in our episode on mm-hmm. that I just say welcome to Hellmouth. <laughs> no the. And I don't know where I got that from. And like I don't once know. uh Chris brought it to my attention and I did a bunch of online research like okay there it must show up as welcome to Hellmouth somewhere. Nowhere. Oh. I don't know where. How I got this in my brain yes. that the did it wouldn't anyways. So out of mind, out of sight is obviously a play on the common phrase, out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. meaning that if you don't see something for a while, you stop to think about it. Yeah. This title flips it to Marcy's situation mm-hmm. because people forget about her when she's right in front of them, and therefore she's turning invisible. Yeah. She's out of sight. And also, we learn throughout the episode, she's out of her mind. True. 
very, very mm-hmm. true. It's a super clever title, and I love it, but I will get it wrong about half the time, oh, guaranteed. Yeah. So Cordelia is celebrating the coming of spring, and with it her inevitable reign as May Queen. Buffy trips into the hallway with a bag of weapons and incurs Cordy's wrath. Buffy's nervous about excusing the weapons away, but the popular kids could really not care less. Yeah, and I love that she uses the most stock excuse of, uh, I brought this for show and tell. Really, there's show and tell in high school and you're bringing up mace? I mean, it's definitely the <laughs> the purpose is to be like, we don't yeah. have show and tell in high school. That's not yeah. an excuse. But I like how they use this to like... They don't even care. Yeah. Like, it's not even, you know, um, the harvest erupting into the Hellmouth where, you know, Buffy shows up with this stake almost mm-hmm. attacking Cordelia. They straight up do not yeah, care like, oh, that she's super weird. weird. And I like that throughout the episode, you kind of see Buffy feeling isolated. She's almost like uh, Marcy. She feels kind of alone and separated and invisible in her own way. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about that more coming up. <laughs> So in literature class, the gang is learning about Shylock from The Merchant of Venice and his anger at being an outcast. Cordy obviously doesn't get what it's like. <laughs> she, set up, she sets up a time for some one-on-one tutoring with their teacher. I like that Cordy cares about school. I yeah. think it would have been very easy to just pass her off as the ditz that mm. is doing her makeup in class yeah. and she's getting a failing grade, but whatever. Mm-hmm. She honestly thinks she's very intelligent. Yeah. Like, she's not, but she thinks she is. And it's funny how she can still be kind of vain and vapid in certain ways, but not dumb about it. Like, the the fact that she has a very intelligent reason why she doesn't understand or disagrees with the the point of view of Shylock and Merchant of Venice, it's, it's actually a pretty cogent point she makes, even if it's a little oblivious of other people in the world not having it as good as her. Sure. It makes me think of that scene in Clueless Mm -hmm. where the lead character is in debate team (laughs) and she uses the example of like some party she's throwing to support her argument, which is not a well-researched topic, but her logic isn't wrong. No, no. She's just because she is a ditz doesn't mean that she's dumb. It's Mm -hmm. not the same thing. Also, Um, like at the end of this scene when... Cordy is talking to the teacher, and the teacher says something. It's nice to see that somebody's actually done the reading. And you can just see very small in the background Willow just rolling her eyes. Like, oh yeah. boy, <laughs> this is the one that she's picking out for being a good student. So in the men's locker room, Mitch is dressing after baseball practice. I like that we learn just enough about him to learn that he is a douche. So we don't feel bad about what's about to happen. Yeah, It's like right before the horror happens, he has to have a really jerky line. Where he says, well, it's not her arm I'm looking to be on. Oh, come on. People actually say that? You're, yeah. You kind of deserve to be beaten up with a bat. I was never a high school guy, so I don't know if they really talk that way. Mm-hmm. Do they talk that way? Uh, not from what I can remember. I mean, also, I wasn't, like, one of the popular guys. I wasn't a jock or anything like that. I do have a very vivid memory in middle school where basically we're in some kind of locker room scenario and this one guy decided to make this really stupid kind of misogynist joke where he said, hey, why is a, a, a fat chick like a razor scooter? And we're like, ugh. And then he just told the punchline, which is like, uh, you, you'd like to be on one, but don't, wouldn't like anybody to see you on it. Something like that. It, I right. don't, it's not a good joke. But then everybody around him was like, that's not cool. 
Nobody laughed and Good nobody supported him. Yes. It, was, it was amazing. I was like, we're in middle school. We're genetically, biologically assholes. And we still know that this is not cool. Like, Good. Really, I really was I like the of, end of that story. Yeah. yeah I, I was dreading it the entire time. I was like, oh, this, this joke is going to go poorly. But this is obviously a plot device because yeah. if he was a nice guy, we'd be really upset mm-hmm. that he got the shit beat out of him. Yeah. But as it is, I don't feel bad mm-hmm. when Mitch's bat comes to life. As the bat beats the hell out of him, we hear a girl laughing. Mm-hmm. And also, I get that she's invisible and it's creepy, but he never seems to attempt to try to take the bat. He just is like, oh, well, I'm getting beaten with a bat now. I think it's the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, I, he has no idea what's going on. Cordy is campaigning for May Queen with monogrammed cookies. Willow and Xander recall a similar story from sixth grade that sends them into laughing fits. Mm-hmm. But Buffy wasn't there, so she doesn't get the joke, making her feel left out. Also left out because, unlike Willow, she does not have a Mondo bottle. Oh, does she have another Mondo yes, bottle? Yes. What is with the Mondo I bottle? No, it's a big runner in season one where they felt we need to establish Willow's character by having a bottle of Mondo drink. I need to, do they still have that? I need to go to the grocery store and check at, it out. I've only seen them at like dollar stores, so I'm not sure if that's just stock they have left over from the 90s. They are expired at this yeah. point. Yeah, they, they didn't start off as purple Mondo, but they're purple Mondo now. Oh no. We learned that Buffy was her school's May Queen back in LA. She is wistful for a time that she fit in. I, I again, as you already pointed out, I, we're already seeing the theme here mm-hmm. of feeling left out, feeling invisible. Yeah. It's nice that we see it from two point of views. Mm-hmm. You know, Buffy, obviously, even though she is, I mean, I think she's cool. Yeah. yeah obviously, we're doing this podcast. Yeah. We think she's cool. She's pretty cool. She used to be cool. Mm-hmm. People don't care about her anymore now that she yeah. is in Sunnydale, has this weird mm-hmm. nightlife that keeps her from caring about important things like clothes and boys. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a nice, counterpoint i think to what comes later Mm -hmm. because she definitely is feeling that invisibility Mm -hmm. but she i want to say she's dealing with it in a healthy way but she's kind of not dealing with it Mm. maybe she is she's just withstanding it yeah and i I feel like especially in high school there's a point where you kind of just have to if things aren't going your way a lot of times it's better just be like, you know what? I'm going to be out of here in a couple of years. Exactly. It's that whole, it's get, it gets better. Because what's the other exactly. option for Buffy at this yeah. point? You can act out and get negative attention. Mm-hmm. You can dress like a whore and get negative attention. Yeah. And that kind of thing. What are How desperate are you to get people to notice you? Exactly. Yeah. And you should just be you. And if people don't appreciate that, mm-hmm. as you said, whatever, I'm out of here in three years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, granted, she might also be dead in two days since he's the Slayer, but ideally not. Right. Mitch is taken out of the locker room on a stretcher and tells Buffy about the phantom bat. Willow and Xander distract Snyder by talking about Mitch suing the school, allowing Buffy to sneak into the locker room. I think Snyder has a couple of really good lines here. Uh, he has the line of, there's no dead students here this week. <laughs> under his breath. I didn't yeah. even catch it the first time I, I watched the episode. And then uh, just the way he says, Sue? Who? It almost feels like a weird little rhyming couplet, the way he says Sue and who. It's like, Sue, who? Cindy Lou who? Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> there she's... Okay, so in the locker room, she finds that someone has written on the lockers, look. Giles has some theories. Telekinesis, invisibility, or poltergeist. Willow's going to research dead or missing kids while Giles enlists Xander for research. What? 
Xander. Yeah, that seems like the weird choice. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, Giles. Xander? Yeah, go for Willow first. She seems like the logical choice. I mean, I guess she's busy. Yeah. Xander, or Giles doesn't really have another choice. Exactly. So Buffy's asking around about Mitch. Cordy's upset that he'll be all bruised up for the May Queen pictures. <laughs> we get a flashback to Mitch first asking Cordy out. Someone, we're seeing it from their, their point of view, approaches them and says hi. Cordy and Harmony snap at her. Back in present day, Harmony falls down the stairs. Or was she pushed? <laughs> Buffy hears a girl laughing and follows the noise to the band room where it jostles her. So it has, we know it, like, yeah. that's a, and it seems like a weird thing that they focus on the fact that something pushed her, mm-hmm. but it does it, it can't go through you. It yeah. can actually touch you. And she says later that it's, it's warm, not cold, like a ghost would be. Right. Because otherwise it would, it would seem like all signs point to ghosts where it's weird, mysterious laughter. You can't see it. Right. Is this the first time we meet Harmony? I think she's like an extra in an earlier episode where she's okay. not really a featured character. I remember seeing her earlier on. I think I had it in my notes. But yeah, I think this is the first time there's like the character of Harmony. It's interesting how long she lasts. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Like just when you watch this episode, yeah. like, oh, little Harmony. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. And it's funny how she's one of the characters who, in various forms, is in both Buffy and Angel and like survives longer than a lot of characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how those side characters can do that. So because a ghost can't bump into you, the gang now knows they're dealing with an invisible girl. Buffy will hunt this girl in the school at night. Meanwhile, Angel visits Giles in the library. Is this the first time we've seen him since the episode Angel? I think in any big way, for I think sure. So. Yeah, I I don't remember seeing him. And it is kind of nice how it's uh Giles Angel scene. It's a weird pairing you don't yeah, see. Yeah, that doesn't not even like after Angel's part of the Scoobies, mm-hmm. they're usually not alone together. Yeah, that's. It, I like it when there's those kind of scenes where you pair up the two characters who aren't usually paired together. And I like how Giles, you can clearly see he's fascinated with the opportunity to talk to a vampire throughout the conversation yeah. where you can see under the surface he's dying to just ask every geeky question he's had about being a vampire since he learned about vampires as a kid. But he's, he's trying to, you know, keep his cool. He's like, somebody at a con meeting right. Joss Whedon. <laughs> exactly. So they discuss the master. Giles mentions a book that would help him learn more about Buffy's nemesis, the Codex. Angel says he can get it. Mm-hmm. It's a big MacGuffin that I feel like should have more go on with it than it does. Just kind of, this is where we get the prophecy for the next episode. I feel like Giles should have been looking for this book earlier. Yeah. Like, and it feels like he has been. With The second they said the mm-hmm. word codex, it was like, oh yeah, the codex. That's yeah. important. This is the first time we're and hearing about exactly. it? Exactly. And it, it feels almost like they were kind of realizing towards the end, oh, we should really build more to the finale. This whole scene almost feels like it might have actually been edited in later. I didn't find mm-hmm. anything to specifically support that, but it's definitely one of those scenes where it could be that. And it feels like the codex should have come up maybe around the time of the Anointed One, Yes. Like, yeah. that would have been a really easy way to tie it in because they're doing the research on the Anointed One. Yeah. They find out about this codex. This could be the one thing that teaches us everything. And they mention it maybe once or twice in a couple other episodes. And then when it comes back here and we're like, oh, we can get the codex, it's a big deal, not, yeah. oh, this thing is really important, by the way. Can you get it? Oh, yeah, you can. That's great. Yeah. So we've got another flashback. Marcy, played by Clea Duval. Did I say Clea? Is that right? I think that's right. Clea. Duvall? 
So I really like this actress. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that I always think of the faculty when I see her because she's I don't done, think that's a shame. She's done way better movies than that. But I actually, I, I kind of like that movie. I really like the faculty. I kind of like it, right? And it's one of those ones where I'm not sure how genuine it is. It's one of those rare movies where I feel like I absolutely cannot take off the nostalgic glasses. I think that this is a call for Hey Do You Remember <laughs> to review The, the faculty. faculty. Absolutely, yeah. because it's been forever since I've seen that mm. movie. But yes, I think I'm still remembering like Junior High Kristen, uh-huh. seeing that movie and just mm. kind of liking it. Yeah. I'm going to put this in the same category as Disturbing Behavior. Oh, very much so. We're like, they came out around the same time. Mm -hmm. I think critically they were both kind of criticized, Mm -hmm. but I kind of like both of them, (laughs) kind of unashamedly. And there's not that many, like, crazy sci-fi horror high school movies. Yeah. And I think we were in this the right age for those movies of, like, Mm -hmm. you know, they've got themes that, you know... Drugs, steroids, mm-hmm. we hate our teachers, that yeah. resonate. I mean, faculty is basically, what if uh, the Breakfast Club happened during Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. that sounds like a great movie. Yes. Let him tweak, man. Just let him tweak. <laughs> and John Stewart's finest performance. Marcy encounters Cordy and Harmony in the bathroom. They're complaining about some boring lecture. Marcy jokes about the speaker's toupee. Which no one else appreciates. But when Cordy makes the exact same joke, everyone laughs. This is really well done. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those great things where it's tough to watch. And I love it when the show, or really any show, can do that. Where it does a scene where you can so relate to somebody in just almost kind of casual misery. That you can really relate to it on a real level. It's kind of hard to relate to, oh, my boyfriend's a vampire. That's... It was not that much to really relate to your real life, but everybody's been in this situation where there have been the odd person out. High school's a really odd time of, it's 50% wanting to fit in mm-hmm. and 50% wanting to stand out. Like yeah. you, you want to be part of the cool group, mm-hmm. but you also want to be exemplary. You want people to notice you. So to neither be universally loved like Cordelia, mm-hmm. nor to stand out as amazing to just fade away into the wallpaper is super depressing. This is a big episode for me in Mm. terms of my connection to Buffy. This is what I always think of when I try to ask myself, what does Buffy mean to me? Mm. Because this, this is a universal feeling, this feeling of being ignored and being invisible. And I think that's the point of the episode Mm -hmm. because it's not just Marcy. It's Buffy. It's Mm -hmm. even Cordelia. And I don't have a lot of sympathy for Cordelia, but that's not the point. The point is that we all feel this, So I think the point is the fact that you're not really alone. Mm -hmm. We've all been there. There is a story that really sticks out to me when I think about this feeling. And I I really think this feeling is the best way I can encapsulate my junior high and high school experience of just, I was Marcy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even Willow, who wasn't part of the popular crowd, but she had her bestie. She had Mm -hmm. her core groups of friends to whom she was important. I was Marcy who was 100% invisible. The best way I can describe this is a story about a lunch from junior high. So our lunch tables had six chairs to them and only six chairs. For some reason, they really would not allow you to move those chairs around. My group of friends had eight people. 
one of whom always had lunch detention. She just really could never get to school on time. She is now a very successful professor. She obviously mm. figured out how to get to class on time, or yeah. it doesn't matter because she's the professor now. Exactly. But at the That's time, the she found. exactly. So, but at the time, she really always had lunch detention. So there were seven of us. Six chairs to a table. Somebody might say, well, let's split up three and three. Let's split up four and two. There were plenty of tables in the lunchroom. No. Uh, I was always the one that was told, you have to sit at a different table. The six of us want to sit together. And there was never a table next to them. Because for some reason, pride and real estate in the lunchroom was the front of the lunchroom. So I had to sit at a table by myself in the back of the lunchroom. Which is mortifying and embarrassing. Yeah. If you think about all of the high school movies that you watch, yeah. one of the major scenes is always describing groups of people in the lunchroom, mm-hmm. right? It would have been amazing to me to be a part of any of those groups. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of any of them. So I would take my sack lunch to the guidance counselor's office and sit in a chair in the corner and eat my sandwich on my lap while he made phone calls. Because that was less embarrassing than being seen in the lunchroom by myself. Mm. So this has been a big issue for me. This actually continues to be an issue for me. I don't know if that's just because we live in a big city and you tend to be invisible. Mm -hmm. I get very frustrated when, and this just happened to me yesterday, and I was thinking about us recording this podcast night, just walking down the sidewalk and someone walks right into you. Or walking through the grocery store and someone walks smack dab into you. And just Mm -hmm. like, I must be invisible because you just try to walk right through me. So in those times when this continues to be an issue for me, I try to remember this episode. Yeah. Part of me just wallows in it and says, God, if this were Sunnydale, I'd be fucking turning invisible right now. Yeah. And the other part of me just tries to remember, just because this episode exists is proof that this is universal for everyone. And I think that's the point. Yeah. it's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So, no big surprise, Cordy wins May Queen. (laughs) In a weird ceremony where they seem to have part of a parade float and just the the main the quad, I guess, of the high school. It's almost in like the a press of the conference. Yeah, like I swear, weird. there's more adults there than students. Exactly. What's going on? And like, it doesn't seem like oh, we have to gather all these people. It's just whoever's here, I guess. Let's just make this announcement on this half a parade float. Were you ever like? king of a dance or something oh god no i didn't even go to prom no you were sparkle king at work well that that is true but that wasn't at a dance that was at a work function uh where basically there's a a holiday party and there's the positions of sparkle king and sparkle queen uh (laughs) we had a walk-off to determine who would win and i because of my expert use of props meaning glitter confetti (laughs) I uh, was able to win the Sparkle King trophy. <laughs> and I don't think we've had a Sparkle King since then. So for I'm years now, you are the reigning Sparkle King. <laughs> I should put on my business cards. Do it right now. <laughs> so has Cordelia hired bodyguards? There are some men in black dudes following her. Holy cow, Cordelia is an alien. <laughs> the world is a marble and the cockroach is going to kill all of us. Um, and it's, I mean, I know they have to stick out for the, the sake of the episode, but these guys are real unsubtle. They're adults in high school in black suits with earpieces. Everyone's going to notice you, especially if you know you're tracking an invisible girl who could be anywhere. You shouldn't be sticking out because she'll like notice you and be like, what's up with that? I mean, nobody knows that this part of the government exists. And, like, 
Until the episode, the Scooby gang doesn't know that they're there for Marcy. Marcy doesn't know they're there for Marcy. We don't know they're there for Marcy. I keep looking over my shoulder asking where Obama is. Okay. But, like, I feel if if I were to gain a weird random superpower, I would start to think, oh, if this is real, maybe that stuff I've heard about in movies is real. Maybe there are men in black. Maybe they're, Maybe I'm not the only one that this has happened to. Maybe they're going to try to register me like the mutants in X-Men. I don't know. If I'm not the only one, there's probably somebody who's going to be after me if they ever find out. I feel like that's would be where I would go. I guess Marcy is kind of crazy, so maybe she just doesn't know. Yep. So Willow's missing student list brought up Marcy's name. She disappeared six months ago. She played the flute. Hey, <laughs> Buffy heard a flute in the hallways last night. She backtracks to the band room, where she follows some dusty footprints into the ceiling. Cover your tracks, Marcy. I know. Sloppy, sloppy work. She's going to make a terrible spy. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Buffy finds Marcy's nest, complete with flute, and her yearbook, which provides a heartbreaking clue. So, here's where I got to ask. So, this is the big reveal of Marcy's nest, Mm -hmm. right? And nest, I think, is the perfect word for yeah. it. You're Marcy. Mm-hmm. You're invisible. Yeah. You can go anywhere without being seen. And you never leave the high school. Yeah, it is a weird choice. And I'm not sure if maybe she thought she couldn't be invisible. But, like, test it out. Like, find out what the limits are. So what would you do if you were a high schooler and you wouldn't... I mean, okay, now keeping it clean, Mike. You got a dirty <laughs> mind over here. <laughs> if you were... You're, like, all of a sudden you're invisible... You don't know how to solve it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that? I get some bandages. Uh, <laughs> oh, Kevin so Bacon. Go, <laughs> Kevin. Well, I was going more at classic Invisible Man, but yeah, sure, Hollow Man as well. Uh, the, some of the classic of our times. Uh, if you wanted to see an Invisible n- Nipple Tweak, felt like that was what was missing this episode. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> go watch Hollow Man. Oh, um, God. Thank you for reminding me. Yep. That, that, that's uh, a scene in that movie. Gross. Um, then you can imagine, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars in special effects were probably thrown at that. Uh, <sighs> that's insane. But if I were invisible, I feel like uh, I would want to get bandages so I could disguise myself if need be. I wouldn't have to obviously be invisible. There are things I would think, like, ooh, maybe I could become a thief. But then, I mean, that is wrong. Plus, I could probably get caught. More importantly, I'd probably get caught if I ever tried to spend the money. I guess i maybe sneak into movies for free. Uh, okay. Something. Something more, like, low budget like that, where it's not as high risk. Because I feel like the only way to go where you can actually successfully, long-term, make a living at being invisible in a world where, like, superpowers aren't common is to do exactly what happens at the end of the episode and become, like, a military operative. Because I don't feel like, if you're working on your own, somebody eventually is going to be, like, either afraid of you or want to use you. So the only option is to try to, like volunteer for something like that. That's my that's my opinion. The way I see it, because nobody outside really of Buffy's mm-hmm. immediate group knows that the supernatural is a thing in this universe, you were never going to get caught. Because if you straight up shove someone, yeah. their first reaction is, that's weird. The wind blew me over. I fell. If that happened to me, my first reaction is not going to be, there's an invisible person. That's not real. You were taking crazy pills. Even if I <laughs> thought that's what ha- happened, even if I felt hands on me, yeah. my first reaction would be like, no, they're going to cart me off to the insane asylum. 
I'm going to keep that to myself. So in my mind, you can get away with anything. Well, I, I guess that's just the difference between you and me. I don't want to murder anyone. Well, I'm not saying I want to murder anyone. I'm saying... <laughs> I'm not a murderess, okay? <laughs> I swear. All I'm saying is I want to sneak past airport security and hop a flight free... Whoa. Okay, stop it. Hop a free flight to Tahiti. Okay. And just chill out there. See the world. I mean, I guess you could see some cool stuff, but the fact that you'd be invisible... Yeah. It would be hard to do anything with it. Like, you couldn't... You get to just experience it. You don't have yeah. to post a selfie about it for it to really happen. Yeah, well, I guess it would just be it would just be lonely, like after a while. Possibly, yeah. And I, I think no matter what, she's going to be lonely, yeah. like forever. Mm. I, I think it would be great if you could have like an invisible partner, but like you could see each other. That would be great. That'd be great. Sure. Um, maybe you're wearing just... an invisibility cloak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but those are reserved for the gods. From the what? Uh, oh, for, oh no! Yes. I got it! I got it! Okay. I'm, I was going Harry Potter. I know, I know. You stayed in our universe like a good fan. I just uh, crossed yeah. the streams there. Exactly. No crossing the streams, uh, which is not a reference to pee, by the way. That is a common <laughs> misconception uh, that I want to clear up because everyone thinks it's a pee joke. It's not. It was just a plot convenience. Really? People yeah. think that's a pee joke? I've heard it so many times. People thinking it's a pee joke, which I'm like, what? Why would that ever be a thing? Urinals aren't. Usually set up like that, even. You can cross streams. It's just a Ghostbusters joke, guys. Yeah. Um, well, no, like, they think in the movie, it's no, a I, joke. No, I get what you're yeah. saying. I'm just saying, like. No. Just, no. It's just Stop a, it. It's just for the plot. Stop it. <laughs> so Cordy's late for her tutoring session, which gives Mercy the opportunity to suffocate Ms. Miller with a plastic bag. Real dark. Real dark. Yeah, it gets to, like, she went black from like up in here. Just fuck you, you have a black eye and maybe like a dislocated shoulder to like I'm straight up murdering this yeah. bitch. Yeah, I'm I'm going to suffocate you with a plastic. You won't bag. call on me in class? Fuck you forever. <laughs> and your children and your grandchildren. And it's really jarring because you don't even see that part until later. So Miss Miller just seems like a nice teacher who's exactly. been the worst fate of almost anybody except for Amy's mom in the history of Buffy. This is escal- and this is like worse than anybody else's fate, honestly. Because like the worst fate should be reser- reserved for Cordelia, which granted, mm-hmm. having your face carved up would yeah. suck. So would death by suffocation. <laughs> Holy shit. Ugh. Uh, Luckily, Cordy arrives in time to save her and to see a floating piece of chalk write the word, listen. So I feel like at this point, I would assume it's a ghost who's really big on train safety. Look, listen, and live. <laughs> if you don't, you're going to get beat with a bat and suffocated. <laughs> Clearly, that has to do with trains. Mm-hmm. Buffy shows Marcy's yearbook to the gang. Everyone wrote, uh... have a nice summer. Even Willow and Xander, who each had four classes with her, but can't remember ever seeing her. And that's, I like that they make that point where even when you're kind of the outsider, you can still, like, inadvertently make other people feel like the outsider. Yes. Where even if you're not overtly being a bully or trying to be mean, it's it's easy to not include somebody and not even realize it. Yes. Absolutely. You've got, you know, Buffy with the inside joke. You've got... This Xander and Willow aren't bad people. No. They're not willfully not including Marcy. Mm-hmm. They're just super tight. Yeah. And it's hard to accept new people into your group. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really effective plot device. Yeah. It really proves that Joss understands high schoolers mm-hmm. because yes, have a nice summer is 
absolutely the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. I hated it when someone wrote just that in my yearbook. Just don't write anything. Yeah. This is, in today's world, it's the equivalent of somebody not writing anything on your Facebook wall for your birthday. We're only writing happy birthday instead of personalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. So Giles realizes that this change is physical, not magical. Mm-hmm. Reality is shaped by our perception. People saw Marcy as invisible, so she became so. I want there to be more instances of this where the big fat party animal literally becomes like a giant bear. This is why I think this is such a good example mm-hmm. of Buffy. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about before, Buffy takes regular things that happens to you in your life. And because of its genre, yeah. just magnifies it. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, you're invisible? No, really. You're, you're invisible. invisible. To exactly. heighten our senses and really examine this idea or this Mm -hmm. feeling. I I think this is the best example of this. Mm -hmm. So we get a flashback to see Marcy turning invisible. Marty McFly style. (laughs) Yes, exactly. In Ms. Miller's class last year, as the class discusses anti-heroes and protagonists, Ms. Miller is calling on everyone but Marcy. This is different than being unpopular. Xander and Willow are nerds, but they have each other. Marcy has no one. So I will say that I think Giles' science behind, like, it's not magical, it's physical. Your perceptions, yeah. you know, alter reality. Makes me sometimes wonder when I'm feeling super invisible if this is really happening. Yeah. Like, am I actually turning invisible? Because it kind of it sounds like it could happen, yeah. right? Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never been worried about that happening, but I have <laughs> thought sometimes, and I've thought of the name of it, of, of ghosting, about how much in, especially city life, you can just not actually touch anything and go about your day. Yeah. So, like, especially with revolving doors and everything, like, half the, the time you're just going about and nobody is really paying attention to you. You're not having much effect on the world. You can kind of just, like, coast by without, like, mm-hmm. like a ghost, just not even touching anything, not interacting with anybody. My equivalent to that, um, and again, this goes along with even today I feel invisible most days. Mm. I can go a whole day without speaking to another living human. In my yeah. current job, I'm in an office by myself. Yeah. A lot of days I can close my door and do my whole job without talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. Yeah. You know, like I, a lot of times I don't have to leave my office. I do on purpose just to go say hi to people mm-hmm. because I want some sort of human interaction. It gets lonely. Yeah. I just uh, did a move, moved from my old apartment to a new apartment and there were a couple of days where I didn't really have much work or anything else except for unpacking and rearranging stuff and moving in. It's it's a very isolated experience when you're not talking to anybody, even if you still have stuff to do. Just not the having the the interaction with other people is is super isolating, and you forget that until a day or two goes by where you just haven't really talked to anybody, and you realize how weird and molish you start to become sometimes like i definitely feel that with myself where if i'm not talking to people for a long time you know if i have a couple days off work and i don't have any plans with people i'm just kind of hanging out at home doing whatever that then when i do have work or plans or something i feel very awkward more so yeah like out of practice yeah it's just how do talk people go Uh, uh, I'm gonna go watch Netflix. Eh. And then you, and then I scurry off in my little hole. Yeah. So Cordelia's figured out, uh, that all these accidents revolve around her. For once, everything <laughs> re- actually does revolve around her. It's all about me. Me, me, me. 
She thinks Buffy's in a gang <laughs> and can help her. She gets some great lines this episode. She really does. So hold up. The coronation's at the bronze? A high school dance at a bar? No. Like, <laughs> Just no. I remember we were talking about like the underage bar. Like, Imagine if your prom was at zero gravity. Right? I wouldn't even step out <laughs> in that place. And you're going to have my prom in there? Fuck it. I don't want to be prom queen. No. No. I will stay home and do extra credit. You, you know what? I don't want a, 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 a prom crown that also comes with hep C. Right? I'm like, your crown is made out of hypodermic needles. <laughs> P.S. They're dirty. <laughs> Not clean ones. So the gang is going to use Cordy as bait to lure Marcy out. Mm-hmm. Cordy laments that although she's surrounded by people, no one really knows her or listens to her. Mm-hmm. Again, I think this is a good counterpoint. Yeah. It's necessary for the episode's point. It does not mean that I feel any sympathy for Cordy here. No, and it's it's a very luxurious problem to have. Where... Yeah, I'll switch with her any day. Yeah, and but it's certainly a legitimate thing that that happens to people and i can imagine to really take a weird tangent i totally understand that sentiment kind of explaining why tom cruise is in scientology where it's like you become really famous and really successful and you feel like you can't trust anybody and then there's this thing that feels like it's real to you and that just becomes like a huge part of your life okay yeah where where everything's kind of false to you because you're just the most popular guy Sure. Or the most popular girl in Cordy's case. Makes um, sense. So what I'm saying is that I think there's a deleted scene where Cordy becomes a Scientologist. Oh, she's absolutely a Scientologist, yes. <laughs> I just think it's the the best thing to take away from this scene is exactly what Cordy says. Being alone and popular is better being than being alone and by yourself. Mm-hmm. The key point there being we're all alone, which in this is the same way as saying we're not all alone. Mm-hmm. So the gang hears a flute, and they follow that noise to the basement where they find a tape recorder. It's a trap! Ah! Marcy locks them in and turns up the gas. Yeah. She grabs Cordy and knocks out Buffy, injecting them with something. Yeah, I, I, I it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't need to see it. I don't, I don't need to see Batman get from that hole to Gotham City. It's one of those things, I, I'm just going to trust you. At the bronze, how'd she get to the bronze? I don't know. We're going to keep move on. How did you lug two bodies to the... Okay. And in an invisible driving the car, like, nobody was like, hey, there's nobody in that car. She put Cordy Please? in the driver's seat and then sat in Cordy's lap. <laughs> oh, now that's a deleted scene right there. <laughs> so at the bronze, the sign still says closed for fumigation and not anything about May Queen. Yeah. I think they're reusing the same shot. I think yeah. it's a previously used shot. And I guess that there's, that was the only time they could get the set empty with the extras living there. Why could they not get an empty shot again? Cordy and Buffy awaken tied to chairs. Cordy's face is numb. Mm-hmm. The word learn is written on the curtain in glitter. I love that it's in yeah. glitter for no reason. It just looks so happy. It's very happy mm-hmm. for the situation. Yeah. We're very excited to learn. Yeah, it's, it's a very musical theater way to, to do it. Not, you know, like a chalkboard. or She does play the flute. Maybe she was in an orchestra. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's super creepy. The image of the, the two women dressed in like their kind of almost like May Queen outfit. Type things strapped to a chair. Like, that's a creepy image. I like that. I don't think Buffy's dressed up. No, well, she's not. That's right. But yeah, there is something... Yeah. There is something to that. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is, but there's something about that. Yeah. 
Marcy tells them that they're not the students, they're the lesson. Marcy's going to carve up Cordy's beautiful face. Your beautiful face. Don't say it that way. (laughs) Back in the basement, the Scoobies have passed out from the gas, but Angel comes to the rescue. Yay, he's finally doing stuff now. Yay, we love new Angel. (laughs) He drags them to fresh air and safety, and he brings Giles the Codex. (laughs) It's like, whoa, Deus Ex Machina. I know. He just, I mean, he just was storing up the do-something point. Yeah, exactly. He was just charging up his, like, energy ball to then shoot out at the end. There you go. At the bronze, Buffy can't fight what she can't see. Marcy is kicking her ass. Yeah. Concentrating, Buffy's able to hear the floor squeak and Mm -hmm. fights back. Those men in black suits show up and retain Marcy. I feel like, and maybe it was just a thing cut for time, which I understand, but I really wish there had been a scene of Buffy training with Giles to work on listening. Like, she's blindfolded and training with Giles. Like, And it could be something where she's like, here's my idea, I want to train for this, and then he just, like, helps her out. It doesn't have to be, like, he comes up with it. I think it should be her coming up with it. Um, and I feel like, because then that climax would have been a better payoff, where instead it was just like, well, I guess I should listen. Well, yeah, of course. What, what you Was there any other plan? But I, it, it, it's not satisfying to me. I always thought there was a scene like that, and was very confused when rewatching it this time. Yeah. Where is that scene where they're, the lesson in the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. is for her to listen? Yeah. At some point, she definitely has a lesson with Giles where he blindfolds her. Yeah. And she has to know where he is. And then that comes up later, right? Yeah. That is a scene in the show that happens. I, I know it must be. I can't pinpoint where, but that seems very familiar. But it's not in this episode, weirdly. Is it when the trio goes invisible? That's got to be it. I think so. It's when the trio goes invisible. Okay. So I always think that that scene is in this episode. Yeah. And I feel like there should be a scene like that. It it dies to have that scene so that then the climax has more payoff instead of it just feeling like, oh, this really wasn't that big of a threat because all she has to do is like, oh, I guess I just have to listen. Oh, and I'm good. Yes. So the suits take Marcy to a government facility filled with invisible kids in spy school. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's what happens. Like, why, how do all the other invisible kids happen? And why are there so many of them that are all high school aged? Well, first off, I, I, it would make sense if this were a thing that they'd be mostly high schoolers because this is, I think, the point in time when your hormones are raging. This is mm-hmm. a big deal. You're less confident. My problem is that Buffy specifically states earlier in the episode the that Hel-Mouth. this is a problem on the Hellmouth. Yeah. Are there other Hellmouths? Yes, there are. They bring is them that, up. There's one in Cleveland. Is that where all the other invisibles are coming from? I don't know. Either way, this is dumb. Yeah. Spy school is dumb. I think it's kind of like fun tongue-in-cheek if she's the only student, or if it's like... I think I, I could have been okay with it if it was like a funny little teaser where it's, she goes into the classroom, she's the only one at the desk, and she's like, you know, presumably waiting, uh, flipping through the book... And then you just see, like, a piece of chalk rays and, like, write down the lesson plan. So it's like, oh, she's learning from somebody else this happened to. I feel like that would be a more satisfying ending. Because that doesn't raise quite as many questions as, like, why are there dozens of children that turned invisible? The federal government knows about vampires. Well, There's a later. federal program. And the initiative is fucking dumb. This yep. is dumb. This is dumb. I love this episode. Yep. This scene is dumb. I hate this scene. 
I feel like if it had been something that was developed more, it could have been cooler. I think what would really happen in real life, let's say in real life, mm-hmm. the government knows there's invisible kids. They're taking you to a government facility to test you and tie you to a gurney mm-hmm. and inject you with things. Maybe they've already done that. If they already have a high school set up for invisible kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe sure. they already kind of like get how it happens and that's why they're able to track it down so quickly. I'm picturing that they throw a can of bright blue paint on you and throw you in a padded room. <laughs> I don't think they make you into a spy, but okay. I feel like if you're the first one that, that it, it happens to, absolutely you're like going to be tested and, and locked up. But if this has been happening for a number of years, which they have a school set up for it, I feel like mm-hmm. eventually you're going to be like, you know, we could use these people with an ability nobody else seems to know about that could literally get them in anywhere to do almost anything. Edward Snowden. <gasps> <gasps> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> It's a name. It's someone who like I know. I know okay. who Edward Snowden is, but okay. I don't know what that like. He was an invisible person. Okay. You know what I'm but we've seen him on the news, so that is yeah. not. That's not real. So there's a whole documentary know. where you see him throughout I, the documentary. I, I don't know. <laughs> so teacher Kristen wants to know what's the lesson in out of mind, out of sight. I think this is one of those lessons that doesn't have a happy ending. It's not no. here's what you should do. It's mm-hmm. just and everyone deals with this. Yeah. Kind of thing. Everyone feels this way from time to time. You can let it make you a violent loony like Marcy, mm-hmm. or you can just deal with it like yeah. Buffy does. Exactly. It's it's like the grown-up version of Alexander the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You know, everybody just has bad things happen to them, feels bad, feels alone sometimes, and you just have to learn how to deal with it in a way that's not going to turn you into a murder lady. <laughs> I feel like this episode evolved into a later episode earshot. Yes. Where Buffy has that beautiful speech where she mm-hmm. says, you think these people don't care about you because they don't. Yeah. Everyone's too busy dealing with their own crap. Mm-hmm. No one cares about you because everyone's got their own stuff to worry about. Yeah. And that's a harsh truth, but it it yeah. is true. It's not that anyone's willfully ignoring you. Yeah. It's not that anyone's willfully treating you badly mm-hmm. or stepping on your jokes or whatever. Yeah. It's... It's just that they're dealing with their own crap. Even Cordelia is. Mm -hmm. And if you're not in somebody's circle, it's very easy to just, like, note them just not to register to you as anything. Uh, Anything else you'd like to say about Out of Mind, Out of Sight? Uh, No, it's it's a really solid episode. And I think it shows how much the show's gotten uh, more confident. Not that there's not missteps in season two, but more confident in how to do a, a standalone episode. I feel like... Season one through season three is just a general incline in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Season four, no. But just it's just a steady incline of we're learning our lessons mm-hmm. and just getting better and better. Yeah. Okay, it's time to put out of mind, out of sight, back on the shelf and open the books on Prophecy Girl. Spring Fling is just around the corner, and Xander is preparing to tell Buffy how he really feels about her. But Buffy, per usual, is fighting vamps. Mm -hmm. I love the way the scene is shot. We get a slow-mo fight between Buffy and a vamp. She flies into the screen, which is intercut with Cordy making out in a car nearby. (laughs) 
Not only is this an awesome fight scene, but when you put it next to the footage of Cordy, mm-hmm. it hammers home the fact that Buffy is not a normal teenage yeah. girl. She's living a very different life. I also love, in the beginning of this episode, how Xander, there's kind of the fake out of Xander, it looks like he's professing his love to Willow, but he's just practicing. Poor Willow. Uh, for Buffy. And it's so sweet how Willow's just like, uh-huh. He's <laughs> like, oh, girl. So in this fight, I love that Buffy looks scared when she's thrown, but yeah. then immediately it's followed by this look of determination. Mm-hmm. I love the way she takes a stake out from behind her back, mm-hmm. the scared look on the vamp's face, like, oh, and her no. confident smile in return. This is like Buffy porn, this mm-hmm. scene right here. <laughs> it's just like, it's everything. Like, yeah, get him. She kicks butt. She yeah. looks cool. He's going to die. Yeah. I love it. I actually feel like the fight at the end could have used more of this kind of like yes. cinematography. That's one thing, and we'll get to it when we get to it, that I was a little disappointed in. This, this, The cinematography of this definitely makes this fight look epic. Yeah. And when you break it down, it's like a two-punch fight. It's exactly. not really that big a fight, but it's shot in such a way that just makes you want to stand up and cheer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But why isn't Giles there to mentor her as usual? He's busy interpreting the Master's prophecy from the Codex from the last episode which says that the master shall rise and the slayer shall die. Mm-hmm. Big prophecy. And one thing before we get heavy into the prophecy stuff, the shot inside the library is a cool shot, but it does feel a little bit like, meanwhile, the library, which totally had a sunroof, you remember that, guys, right? Because it's, it's, it just feels like they have to set up that there's a big kind of sunroof at the top of the library. They have yeah. to heavily establish that. It was just a little distracting for me. When when that, when watching the episode, where it's like, okay, we I get it. You have to set this up for later in the episode, but it seemed a little a little too blatant, a little too obvious to me. I mean, it doesn't bother me because they they have to. I mean, they just yeah. have to make sure that you know that that's where that mm-hmm. is. But they could have used that for more than one shot this season. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, even if they they didn't end up knowing that they needed it until the last episode, like. Film a shot or two where the sunroof exists earlier. Because yeah. we don't know that it doesn't, but it's not like as an established thing. Sunnydale is hit with an earthquake, which the master recognizes as a sign of his coming. The next day at school, Giles is pretty disheveled and distracted. He's been up all night researching. Buffy is miffed that he's not paying enough attention to her, but she can't harp on it too long because she must meet her terrible fate. <gasps> Biology. Oh, okay. And I think it is so sweet how Giles is, is trying to find a way around this without having to, like, let Buffy know that she is doomed. He's trying to figure out some way where this can't possibly be true. Yes. Uh, he's not it, just her watcher. He wants to protect her. Exactly. But I feel like for the amount of time and what he's doing here, it seems very appropriate that he's trying to protect her if he can. Yes, absolutely. What father figure wouldn't try? Mm-hmm. Exactly. After class, Xander asks Buffy to the dance. I remember being surprised that he actually said it. Like, because every other yeah. time he's been interrupted, where mm-hmm. he chickens out. So I remember the first time I watched this being like, holy crap, he really yeah. did it? He yeah. told her, go Xander. And he's like, he gets up the confidence that he's, he's so weirdly confident that when they go to the bench, he just says, hey, leave to that guy. And, and he, he does. just leaves. He does. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome that he, he has the confidence to build it up, but then when he gets rejected, mm. as we all know he's going to be, cause we can all tell she's, just not that into you, buddy. No. It's it. It's very true, and I don't think it's too bitter, 
but it's just bitter enough his reaction to it where it's like just sour and he's he's hurt so he tries to hurt her back mm. but it's not so much so that we we lose sympathy for him right i mean this is a painful scene to watch because mm-hmm. again you know what's going to happen but i still have so much respect for xander in this moment for coming clean like exactly. major ups for him for having the guts to put it all out there he doesn't even let her beat around the bush because she tries. She yeah. tries to beat around the bush. And he even says, you feel thing you don't. don't. Like, just tell me how it really is. He's being direct. He wants a direct answer. So he really just raises in my respect level mm-hmm. so high right here that he earns his bitterness. Yeah. If you want to feel bad, if you want to wallow, you do it, buddy. Yeah. You've spent the year pining for her. She's not into you. It's not her fault. She doesn't yeah. have to be into you. No. Feel bad for yourself. It's okay. Yeah. He has that line about, uh, what? It, I have to be undead to make time with you. Uh, and I, I do feel like you gotta learn eventually, Xander. It's not just that she's into Angel. It's that she's also not into you. It's not like if yeah. Angel was out of the picture, she'd totally be no. up for Xander time. No, you aren't the runner up. And no. I mean, I, I do like that throughout the series this is never a ship mm-hmm. um that they explore because yeah. it would just be wrong this yeah. is just it's not it would that feel... chemistry has never been there on her part mm-hmm. yeah and it would feel like a weird fan service thing where it's like well we know that the guys all relate to him so he's going to get the girl that he wanted in the first place even though that doesn't make sense for the characters we've established and yeah it kind of defeats the purpose yeah. of the everyman character mm-hmm. he's not the stud that gets the super hot Girl, yeah. he's the everyman that, you know, he's in the friend zone and mm-hmm. isn't really suave with the ladies. And dates a lot of demons. Yeah, it, it would just defeat his, his purpose as a character. Mm-hmm. So Jenny meets with Giles about some unexplained phenomena going on. I kind of like this list. So <laughs> a cat gave birth to a litter of snakes. Aw, adorable. <laughs> no, <What>? adorable <laughs> snakes. I mean, I hear the word cat and birth. I'm like, oh, little kitten, little boy. No, snakes. The visual image. I guess <laughs> it depends on the type of snake. I, I don't. You don't find any snakes cute and cuddly? I thought you were doing an innuendo there and was like, no. Oh. <laughs> Just no. Oh, that would be much, much worse. <laughs> So to answer your question, no, no snakes, none of them. Uh, A family was swimming when the lake suddenly began to boil. Hot tub. And a boy was born with his eyes facing inward. So these are all signs of the apocalypse. And also just an earthquake. Seems kind of lame in comparison. Like, earthquakes just also happen in California. I mean, they do. I'm pretty sure that's straight out of the Bible. Yeah. Meanwhile, Xander is feeling sorry for himself, so he offers to go to the dance with Willow as a backup. Mm. And good for Willow! She says no. She's nobody's consolation prize. So, my senior prom was a huge bummer. My boyfriend at the time dumped me right in the middle of prom season. He then immediately asked out a fellow cheerleader. She and I ended up showing up to my senior prom in the same dress. Ooh. Which is actually hilarious. Like, and if it were a TV, if it were like a TV show, really? yeah, if it were a TV show, everyone would A, maybe like, that would never happen. Yeah. And B, B, it would be this big dramatic moment. But she and I were friends enough to like look at each other, look up and down, and just burst into laughter because <laughs> it was hilarious. But at this point, uh, everyone already had dates, so I knew there was no way anyone would ask me, that anyone would ask me on a normal day anyway. Mm-hmm. So I did something bad. 
I had this other ex-boyfriend who I knew was still pining for me. Oh, no. And I asked him to prom. Oh. I knew that he had feelings for me. I knew he wanted it to be a romantic theme. And I just wanted a date. Oh. This is bad, Kristen. Kristen yeah. should have never done this. This was very mean. He, of course, oh. said yes. At the prom, I was really upset that my first ex was there. The ex that came to the dance with me was upset because he could tell that I wanted to be there with the other guy. So he refused to dance with me. And I'll say I deserved that. That yeah. was yeah, well deserved. Ooh, so uh not not a great dance. No. And again, I did not get deserve to get dumped by this dude in the middle of prom season, but I should not have hurt someone else. Yeah. To make up for that, uh, my date should have totally done what Willow did here and said, no, I'm not a consolation prize. Just because I have feelings for you doesn't mean that I'm the backup when you really want to be with someone else. So, good job, Willow. I just avoided it. I just didn't go at all. I should have just gone with my girlfriends, which is what I wanted to do, but my mom was from a different generation, so she thought that I would be really upset if I went by myself, that this was something that people didn't do, was Mm -hmm. go stag. Whereas in my high school, a lot of girls went by themselves. A lot of of people in my high school as well. Well, now you know not to do that again. If you ever have another prom you want to go to. Right. (laughs) Xander is going to lick his wounds by going home and listening to country music. The music of pain. I love that he says that and it seems like just a Xander line, but then the next time you see him at home, he's listening to country music. I love that. I love it. Buffy walks in on Giles arguing with Angel about the prophecy. Giles says that there has never been a prophecy in the Codex that hasn't come true. And this one is clear. Tomorrow night, Buffy will face the Master... And she will die. I love the reaction where when she first hears that, she just laughs. And then and it turns into a sob. Yeah. yeah. Like just a shot. This mm-hmm. is heartbreaking and yeah. so good. Like just a laugh into a sob mm-hmm. and then just the utter shock. She's clearly feeling so much at this point that she doesn't even know what she's feeling. Exactly. I think this is one of the, if not the, top SMG performances in the show. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super heartbreaking. You really believe it when she says, I don't care, Giles, I'm only 16 years old. Like, that that rings so true. And, and not in a way that it feels, like, selfish or anything. It just feels just like, no, of course. Like, I feel exactly for you. Her plan to thwart this is to give up her calling. If she refuses to face the master, he can't kill her. Willow tries to call Xander, but he takes the phone off the hook, and he's listening to country music. Buffy is looking through a photo album reflecting on her life. I keep trying to put myself in her shoes here. So you're 16, and someone tells you you're going to die tomorrow. At my age now, I don't have the capacity to deal with this. Yeah. So it's really hard to imagine what she would be going through. Mm-hmm. And then she'd be so, like, calm about it in a way, even when she's trying to escape it. She's not, like... I'm going to go get drunk or eat a bunch of food or like party in some way, which I feel like is a very, would be like a very natural response to like try to like escape it in that way. But she's just like, I'm going to look through this photo album because I know I'm going to die. I feel like I would literally run, like yeah. literally leave that room and yeah. run as fast as I can mm-hmm. out of town. Yeah. Because I mean, that you're 16. You're not mature. Yeah. You're not thinking about what about my mom? What mm-hmm. about the world? What about yeah. the school? You know, let me reflect on my past. Just 
fucking get out of there. Which, I mean, again, Buffy's not a normal teenage Mm. girl. Normal teenage girls, myself included, could not handle this. She handles this in a much more mature way. Whether or not that's true to life, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's hard to say. I've never been a 16-year-old girl. (laughs) I've never had a prophecy saying that I was going to die There was that that week that you were a 16-year-old girl. Oh, that's right. Don't forget about that. (laughs) Forget about that. (laughs) So Buffy's mom has a present for her. It's the dress. It's the This is an iconic dress. I love this dress. At school the next day, Cordy and Willow find students murdered in the AV room. Mm -hmm. The child handprint staining the TV screen is a really nice touch. So, And I realize at this point, nobody else, the cast doesn't know that the anointed one is a kid. No. They just know it wasn't the dude they thought it was. I think this is the first time I realized that was a child's handprint. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's not, the scale is hard to make out with that. Sure, yeah. Especially when it's just like, I, well, it's a TV, I don't know what size TV that is. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I just think that that's really effective, like Willow's reaction to that. Mm. And, and the next scene is one of Willow's best performances, definitely in the first season. And I think it, it totally justifies what happens next. Yes. I know that I'm a broken record here, mm-hmm. but Alison Hannigan is amazing. She yeah. just has like mad acting skills. Why does she have an Emmy? Does she have an Emmy? She doesn't have an Emmy for Buffy. No, I mean, maybe they give her one for Time at Your Mother at some point. I never know if it was like sitcom sitcom. They should just give her all of the Emmys. All of them for all time. Yeah. Even like actor, even the technical award, they should be like, I'm sorry. This was wrong. <laughs> Allison Hannigan, here's my Emmy. Yep. So the master is still trapped underground for now. So he sends the anointed one up top. Giles and Jenny are still researching. They quote a Bible verse that is supposed to describe the coming apocalypse. And I have it here. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf, the lion, and the fatling together, and the little child to lead them. With the exception of the little child to lead them, this makes no sense. Yep. I keep reading this. I wrote it down specifically because I was like, I'm going to figure out how this applies. Yeah, I. it almost seems like it's how a... Serial killer would leave a, a clue where it's like, look up this Bible verse, and it has a clue about what's going to happen. It's not like a prophecy in the strictest sense where, oh, like you remember when we were at the zoo and that uh, kid was laying down with a leopard, right? No, that, that's we don't see that stuff happening. Well, even Jenny true. points out, this is kind of like an uplifting verse. Yeah. Like, I, I haven't read a lot of the Bible. Mm-hmm. But to me, this reads as like, a very peaceful of all the animals mm-hmm. coming together with the children, yep. and this is the earth that we want mm-hmm. of innocence and peacefulness. I don't see how this is a sign of the apocalypse. I think just turn it around to, instead of just, like, laying down peacefully, all those animals are boning. Oh. There you go. Then it's super creepy, right? Oh. Yep. Oh. See? That's all you had to do. Uh, thank you? You're <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, but, uh, yeah, and it is, it is weird because, like, the rest of it is very much like, this is an exact prophecy of what's going to happen, but then that's just a quote from another book. I mean, I get that they wanted to use the real quote because, like, it's creepy to say in the Well, this is, I think, them. Brother Luca, who's a guy yeah. they've been consulting with, mm-hmm. was crazy, yeah. but instead of giving them a straight answer, Brother Lucas sent them this Bible yeah. verse as his way of explaining what was going to happen. Yeah. Which, again, he's crazy. Yeah. You could have just said the last part. Sure. Giles' new plan is to save Buffy by keeping her uninvolved. Buffy disagrees and punches out Giles to keep him safe. Aww. So sweet. I like that she accepts her duty only because it's become personal. Yeah. 
after she sees Willow all distraught and scared, mm-hmm. it's not about saving the world from the Hellmouth opening. Mm-hmm. It's about saving her friends. Yes. Yeah. The fact that they're in the world is just a big bonus. <laughs> and I, I think that's true. I think the yeah. concept of trying to save the world is too broad. Mm-hmm. The concept of trying to save the handful of people that are nearest and dearest to you, yeah. to you that is something you can yeah, act upon. Yeah, it's a lot more tangible. Yes. And you could, you could make the argument that the inspiration of seeing it on the personal level makes her take up the responsibility of saving the world, but I think it's probably closer to actually just personally wanting to save her friend. There's a good line here after she punches Giles. Yeah. She says to Jenny, when he wakes up, tell him, I don't know, think of something cool, tell him I said it. Yeah. So at this point, she dons the Prophecy Girl outfit. <laughs> this look is so iconic for Buffy. Uh, you've got the dress. Everybody loves the dress. We yeah. talk about it a lot in this episode. You've got Angel's coat. And you know I love that coat. Yes. Uh, I also, in addition to me buying myself a cross ne- necklace, when I got really into Buffy, I went and I bought myself a men's leather coat, <laughs> which I still own. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have a white dress other than my wedding dress. That would be way too much. <laughs> Uh, so you've also got the crossbow, which the crossbow always yeah. kicks ass, and the cross necklace. She looks ready to kick ass, and I just love it. It gears yeah. me up every time is, I see it. It is a cool uh, shot of her in the in the cro- in the dress with the crossbow. It's a nice, you know, kind of glamour uh, hero shot, which is really nice. It's like watching your like team in uniform running out in the football field. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, get them. Buffy doesn't have to... You wanted to make fun of me there, didn't you? Uh, well, no. I was just like, I have, I have no context for what that <laughs> is. Like, how that would feel cool. I guess maybe I could understand if it was the first time you saw the uniform. But I feel like, we, we know what the uniforms are. Like, this is like, oh, she's in this thing. Oh, the, the bears time. are wearing orange and blue this time? <laughs> wow! <laughs> Buffy doesn't have to look far for the anointed one. She immediately runs into him and guesses who he really is. Well, okay. So, that's not consistent. Because... The whole thing about the Iron One is, like, she will not know him. The only thing she says to him is, I know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Again, she's going to thwart prophecy later, kind of, not really, but... And it just, I don't know, something about that just seems like, if they had made a deal out of it, I could have understood it, but it just seems like... They made a point of saying the Slayer will not know him. Yeah, and then she knows him, and maybe that was like, oh, well, this is proving the prophecy won't happen, but I don't feel like it was played like that. I feel like... They weren't paying close enough attention to that that line. I think more importantly, why the fuck does she take his hand? Because the little child shall lead her? I mean, you can lead without holding a dead child demon's hand. I know he looks like a kid, but she knows yeah. full where that he is an evil dead thing. Yeah. And she's touching it. Mm. Well, you know, maybe... It would have not been as creepy if it had been who they thought the orange one was, Pork and Beans guy. Pork and Beans. <laughs> pork and Beans. I'm going to Pork and Beans. His hand has to be cold <laughs> and gross. And I feel like a little squishy. Yeah. Because his skin is probably like decaying. It's just squishy mm-hmm. and cold and I don't want it. So what you're saying is that the little kid's hand might have felt like uh, a package of Pork and Beans. <laughs> oh, Oh, God, you made it so much worse. How is that worse than evil dead thing? I don't know. Uh. Xander is furious to learn about the prophecy and that Buffy's going alone. Mm -hmm. 
I like that he's big enough to put his hurt feelings aside because yeah. his friend's in trouble. Like, he's done wallowing at this yeah, point. He's like, I exactly. was feeling bad for myself. This is more important. Yeah, and, like, he gets help from... The person he knows he can help is basically, like, in his mind, the guy that the love of his life chose over him. And he's like, you know what? I don't like you. I think you're a jerk. I still need your help. I'm big enough to admit that to somebody who probably is like the person he hates the most in the world right now. This is a great moment for Xander. Yeah. He looks so kick-ass mm-hmm. here. He's he, like intimidating he, angel. Yeah. I mean, like, again, yeah. when Xander gets confident and kind of cool, he, he mm-hmm. ups the attractive scale for me. But why did an angel go alone to try to help Buffy? Yeah. Why does he need Xander to convince him to do so? Yeah, I feel like this is one of the last vestiges of... First season angel just like the tearing ineffectual away. coward. Yeah, we're <laughs> just like that's not a part of your character in the rest of your like seven year span in the in the in the Whedonverse. But for some reason, this first season you're kind of a wuss, like or just dumb. In yeah. this instance, to me, it just feels like dumb. Like he didn't think of it. Yeah, like oh yeah, I guess I could go home. Like you're two hundred years old. By the way, the high schooler figured it out before you yeah. did. Uh, I don't care if you have a weird random statue in your apartment. Yeah, that was weird, right? Yeah, like, weird. Like, okay, so especially when we learn later, and I understand we don't learn the full backstory of Angel yet. He wasn't like rich right before he came to Sunnydale. He was kind of homeless. Like, why does why is he carrying the statue around? Or where did he get it? Where did he get that apartment? Why does he have? Why would he even be the kind of guy who would have like a statue in a cabinet? I don't think he has any source of income. Where yeah. is he getting this shit? Because, I mean, like, other vampires, sure, they steal. That yeah. makes sense. He's a good guy. I yeah. hope he's not stealing shit. Yeah, and, like, he lives in a legitimate apartment. A lot of vampires, even if they're not, like, stealing to get money, they live in, like, a crypt. Or the sewer. Yeah. But he's he's living in a pretty nice apartment. He may not be that good a guy. No. he. And where does he get all those fancy leather jackets? Mm. Think about it. Mm-mm. But Buffy's already at the master's lair. She tries to crossbow him, but he catches it, which is cool. Yeah. They play a little hide-and-seek here yeah. uh, before the master uses, what, hypnosis? Yeah, hypnosis. Okay. Yeah. I don't... I, don't, I mean, that's a really uh, common thing in older vampire lore. It doesn't come up again until Dracula Season 5. Well, I think because it's it specifically... And I, I appreciate it because it is a very old-fashioned vampire thing. Like, I don't think any... Any big movies after, like, the 80s, maybe not even in the 80s I can think of, except for maybe some adaptations of Dracula, use that conceit, which was really common back in older vampire movies, that vampires would put you in this thrall and they'd seduce you with hypnosis in some way. And I, I feel like it's it's kind of neat that it's only the oldest, most powerful vampires that can do that. I think it's dumb. <laughs> Buffy can't move. The master grabs her. He tells Buffy that her blood will set him free. By trying to stop him, she's actually doomed the world. Oh. With some really lame special effects. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where, much like Angel hovering over the uh, neck wound of Joyce, it would have been so much better if they had just cut the shot sooner. Or if it was just like a quick effect of him escaping the, the force field, and just like, psh, psh, and he's out. It's also weirdly timed. Like, he... Yeah punches it, then there's a thing that happens. There's like a flashlight. And then there's the noise. Yeah, and then it kind of like, it starts to go away, and then you start to hear a noise as it's 
all the visual effects are off screen, and then you hear it like sizzling in the background. Yeah, basically, it, no it's editing, weird. bad editing, guys. Yeah. Get it and together. then you see him like start to walk off in this really unthreatening way. It's like do, 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 <laughs> off to rule the worlds. I'm walking on sunshine, <laughs> yeah. And uh, another thing, I guess. I mean, I guess maybe his hypnosis. So he controls like the weird uh, Sarlacc pit monster that's coming out of the Hellmouth. Sure. Because yep. okay, I know he's like a strong vampire, but it still seems like that's a giant thing that you would have to fight. So I guess it's under his control through his mind powers. I think it's just on Team Evil. Okay. So and they're like all broing out about it, like, "Hey yeah. guys, let's go kill we some got non-evils." This. Fuck a Slayer, yo. Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, the gang thinks that the Hellmouth will open beneath the bronze. Mm-hmm. Jenny and Willow rush to warn the prom-goers, but they're wrong. The Hellmouth yep. is really under the library. The Master's followers, a.k.a. a whole bunch of vampires, yep. are gathering there. I think the shots of them on kind of the football field coming towards me, bring it back to something we mentioned earlier, reminds me a lot of the faculty. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. That is like a straight out of the faculty. Yep. Or maybe the, the faculty got it straight out of this episode. going to have to do the timeline. Cordy arrives at her car to save Jenny Willow by driving through the school. Go, Cordy. Yeah. The last Cordy's two episodes, she's been kind of like, she's been good here. I like yeah. it. The gang barricades themselves in the library. Xander and Angel arrive just too late. They pull Buffy's body from the water, but she's not breathing. But Xander won't accept that. He performs CPR. And it works. Yeah. Buffy wakes up. She was dead for a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. I like that they did not forget the detail that Angel can't breathe, yeah. so he can't save her here. Although, in my research, I found there's at least two instances where that's not the case. In Buffy. In Buffy and Angel. Okay. I know, like, there's a whole thing about, like, how can they smoke cigarettes yeah. if they're breathing? That's one of the, the big things. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard. Been Just don't inhale. Just don't inhale. So, then they'd just be like ash falling. It would be the most cosmetic thing in the world. It would be so, so lame. It would be like Stephen Dorff in those commercials. So Buffy wakes up, cue the theme song, as Nerf Herder plays in the background. Okay, I hate that. (laughs) It feels so dumb, and it feels like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It doesn't feel like like the show Buffy is. I feel like if you're going to have the theme played during the show, you have to establish that in the first episode and not just do it once. I think it's special that it's just in this episode and just once. This is a big episode. I mean, it's not just a season one finale. This kind of sets her on the path for like most of the rest of the show. Okay, but if you're going to have it be more than just like a very standard three people walking shot. Okay. You know? Okay. Like, I'll it doesn't give you feel that. momentous I, enough. Again, to bring it back to football, this is like <laughs> playing the school fight song. Everyone gets up and cheers. But that's like an established tradition, though. It's not like just this last game, we all of a sudden decided, you know, let's, let's come up with a fight song and I'll sing it. That's fair. That's a fair yeah. point. Buffy, Angel, and Xander march towards the school. With her newfound strength, she's ready to face the master. Hey, what's that coming out of the library? Whatever it is, it's got tentacles. The Hellmouth is open, and this thing is gross. Mm -hmm. Giles does look pretty badass attacking it with an axe, though. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. That's a good one. I do also like that he has the line, they're coming through the stacks. Yay! And in my research... Oh my god, Mike, it's behind you! It's in the stacks! Ah! Uh, Oh, okay. 
It's just uh, it's just three guys in a suit. Um, oh god! <laughs> but that's actually how they did it. It wasn't like really a puppet so much as it was three guys in suits, kind oh. of working in conjunction together. Awkward. Yeah. I bet it got sweaty and smelly in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> not a fun time. That, that kind of alters my perception of that scene. Like, quick, yeah. get through it because those poor guys are going to suffocate. Well, it gives you some motivation. Like, oh, these things are really actually disgusting. It's pretty gross. There's a smell coming from there. Mm-hmm. Also, Cordy bites a vampire. And says, see how you like it. Which I love. <laughs> Again, she is just, she's kicking butt in this, yeah. this one. Xander and Angel start taking out the vamps. Buffy finds the master on the roof. And we get the iconic line from this episode. You're dead. I may be dead, but I'm still pretty. Which is just like <laughs> yeah. the one we all know. Yeah. He tries his hypnotism trick again, but Buffy breaks free after saying, you've got fruit, fruit punch mouth. Mm-hmm. Buffy tells him to go to hell and then tosses him through the library windows onto a broken table, which acts as a giant stake. Mm-hmm. The special effects here are pretty good for season yeah. one. Like, yeah. he has his own kind of dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that it's different. It's special for, like, yes. the super vamp. It moves up. It's black and mm-hmm. thick. Yeah. And it leaves behind his creepy-ass skeleton. Mm-hmm. Very cool. The hellmouth is closed. The monster retreats. And the gang regroups in the library. They even have time to make it to the prom. Aww. Springfling. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Technically. Jo- Joyce, I think, calls it uh, the prom. So I'm out of yeah. touch like the mom. Prom there. or springfling, whatever you call it. Right. I think this is a really tight episode. I think this episode informs who Buffy is as a character mm-hmm. for yeah. six years to come. Yeah. Um, especially the moment where... She wakes up after dying and saying, mm-hmm. I feel strong. I feel yeah. good. There's a confidence there that mm-hmm. carries through that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Well, it's not like she's been terribly insecure in, in like a shy way as much, but it's it feels more like she doesn't doubt herself as much. She's always been externally very, very confident in most things, but now I feel like it's it's more reflected inwards as well. She has more inner confidence as as well as she's not hiding as much insecurity because she realizes like no I really am the Slayer. Yes, the, I mean think this is when you compare it to how this season opened. It's a nice arc. Mm-hmm. I think this is just a really tight episode from start to finish. Yeah. And it is nice how it, how it settles a lot of arcs or at least like pushes forward a lot of arcs. Yes, yeah. For most of the characters, Xander definitely goes through a lot over the season, and a lot of that's settled in the end where he finally like expresses his feelings explicitly and then deals with the fact that they're not reciprocated. Angel does stuff finally, <laughs> not just a a weird coward. Although I mean, kind of acts a little bit. In the end, he's not a weird coward. Coward. He's the angel that eventually goes on to. Be Angel for a couple more seasons, and then on his own show. I think the only character who doesn't get that much of an arc, at least as far as the finale goes, is Willow. I feel like she does have a kind of a turning point with the seeing like the horrible massacre. I feel like that's something that informs her later on and makes her more committed to it. But you don't see a lot of that in this episode necessarily. I think we're going to see more from Willow in season two yeah. when Oz comes into play. Yeah. And especially her reaction to Xander and Cordelia's relationship. Mm-hmm. We're going to see her grow up a little yeah. bit there. But yeah, you're right. Her her season arc is not 
as clearly defined yeah. as other people's. If she has one, she's yeah. kind I mean, of just still Willow, yeah, which is fine. Of, yeah. I love Willow. And then that's a very true-to-life thing, especially in high school where people mature and change at different rates. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, like this year, nothing really changed for me. And other people are like, everything happened. Yeah. Cordelia did a lot of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's You can see her start to become part of the Buffy gang. Yeah. She cares about stuff. Yeah, she's, she's less selfish. I mean, she's still selfish, but, but she is less worried about mm-hmm. her hair for five minutes yeah. so that she can do something good. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Giles be a little less stuffy and mm-hmm. a little more willing to break the rules. Yeah. And his feelings for Buffy as more than a slayer grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's trusting his, his feelings more than just his... Intelligence and academia. Yes, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's he takes some action. He's got that mm-hmm. axe. Yeah. good shot. Mm-hmm. Do we want to move into the international title roundup? Yes, we do. So for uh, out of mind, out of sight, there is German. Very sadly, just the actual phrase "out of sight, out of mind." German's letting me down I this know, time. I know. Same with Portuguese, just out of mind, out of sight. I think some of them switch it around, but not really anything that, that crazy. French is, is nice, missing. Probably the weirdest one is the Finnish one, which just seems more like a Doctor Who title than a Buffy title. The Invisible Threat. Accurate, but not crazy. Boring. Yeah. And then for Prophecy Girl, uh, there are a couple that I find a little weird. In Portuguese, it's just the girl of the prophecy. In German, it's the end of the world. In Finnish, it's prediction which seems a bit mild it's like, a little bigger than that buddy yeah, it's it's not hey i think uh, oranges are going to be real popular this year <laughs> it's barber's almanac yes the world's gonna end uh and then i think the weirdest one because apparently apparently they felt this particular portion of the story was the most important the french title manuscript what is what is that referring to i guess the codex the manuscript is the codex uh, and maybe, like, manuscript has an alternate meaning in French where it talks more about prophecies, but it's literally le manuscrit. Now it's time to celebrate Buffy's badassery with this week's Slay of the Week. Would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, well, this one is a little tough. Because, first of all, the first episode, no real slays. Right. True. Uh, and the second episode, I, I'm kind of torn between the two halves of me. One of me wants to go with what just feels cooler and what's more important. What feels cooler is the opening kill with the, the yeah. slow-mo and that guy. It's just like that you could have as a 30-second sizzle reel of like, watch Buffy. Bah! Yeah. But then the most important kill, of course, is the master. Yes. And it's it's her first defeat of the big bad. It's, I mean, it is a pretty cool effect. But the thing that makes me kind of not want to go that way is I feel like the fight between Buffy and the master is pretty lame. It's pretty lame. So my choice was actually for Buffy's fight with the master. Yeah. So the fight between Buffy and the vamp in the first scene is actually pretty lame because when you break it down, it looks mm-hmm. real cool. But it's like a one-two, like, he flips her, she stands up, and she stakes him. Like, that's it. It's just kind of over. So I chose Buffy fighting the master, which still not a great fight scene, but it's really satisfying after he killed her. Mm -hmm. And flying through the window is cool, and the giant stake is cool, and the special effects are cool. 
I don't know. It just the the one that makes me hesitant to go that way is just that in theory that should be so much more satisfying than it is to me. Yeah, because it it feels like oh okay I guess I guess he's dead. His effect was different. That's cool, but it doesn't. I don't get like that kind of midnight screening age ultra like oh yeah we're we're she got the main bad. It just feels like oh okay. Um, I feel like probably a lot of it was restricted by the fact that it was, you have to really have, as much as you can, the two actors actually fighting. It's yeah. a harder fight to use stunts, especially since the master's makeup is so extensive, it's harder to hide a stunt double. Right. When they'd have to also be wearing that thick makeup. This discussion has led me to go with the initial one. Even though, as you say, choreography-wise, not much happens, but cinematography-wise, it's great. It's well done. Season one roundup. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the end of season one. Mm-hmm. We made it through a whole season already. <laughs> First question of our season one roundup. What was your least favorite episode? Well, I don't think it's a surprise here. Nope. I wrote you, Jane. Yep. We're set of the series. <laughs> Since we knew we were going to have the same answer, yeah. because yes, it's I wrote you, Jane. Because we're human beings with eyes and ears. Exactly. Uh, I have a brain and it tells yeah. me these things. Exactly. What do you think is your second least favorite episode? This one I had to go through because there are a couple of candidates. Mostly, it was mostly like one-offs that I didn't feel like hit entirely. But actually, the one that I settled on is Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. I said the same thing. I it, I was struggling between, you know, I'm not a big fan of Puppet Show. Yeah. Teacher's Pet is kind of weird. Yeah. But settled on Never Kill a Boy on the first date for lots of reasons. But the mm. no one, number one reason being Owen. Oh, yeah, and, th- and that's the thing where a lot of the one-offs, it feels like, oh, this is something they're going to do better in the second season or the third right. season. Yeah. But this is the only one where it felt like there was just such a horrible character that was so irredeemable as a character that it spoils everything else that happens. Even though there's stuff that's like, oh, this is a cool proto version of kind of myth-heavy stuff that happens later on. What really did it for me is that nothing, in my opinion, happens. I mean, you yeah. you get the anointed bus crash in like the first mm-hmm. five minutes, but then they spend the rest of the episode fighting someone who's not really the anointed one. Yeah. And then you find out the anointed, and the real anointed one exists. Right. So you spend this whole episode trying to fight this really big, bad, important guy, mm-hmm. and turns out he's not at all. So no. it just feels like a waste of my time. Yeah. And th- I wouldn't mind that if, on the whole, the episode was a lot more entertaining than it sure. was. Sure. Yeah. If it was there funnier, are definitely episodes, if I liked Owen. Yeah. 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 There are definitely episodes in Buffy and in other shows where... There's an episode where if you break it down, much like that fight scene at the beginning of Prophecy Girl, not that much happens, but the way it happens is cool enough and interesting enough, and maybe there are some nice character moments where it's okay that not that much actually happens. Yep. What is your favorite app from season one? Okay, so I've been flopping between two, flip-flopping, and I think I'm going to actually have to settle, even though I do have problems with it. I feel like it has some of the best acting, and as a episode of Buffy, I feel like it's probably the most representative, so I'm going to go with Prophecy Girl. I said the same thing! <laughs> and because we knew we were going to say the yeah. same thing, what is your second favoriteest episode? So my second one, and I li- literally last episode, so uh, two weeks ago, I was almost going to say, oh, this is probably going to be my favorite episode of the the season, is Nightmares. I really like okay. Nightmares. Okay, 
Because um, I feel like it's a cool one-off idea done really well. I do feel like it had some problems with the landing, but I feel the same thing with Prophecy Girl. Uh, and I feel like the dream thing is used really well. And I feel like most first seasons of a show would not do a dream thing really well. And uh, it gives every character something to do, which I really love in a Buffy episode. And I feel like some of the later seasons they really struggle with having... Willow and Xander doing things in a lot of the episodes. Fair. My second choice was Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Oh. It is my favorite Monster of the Week episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. Yeah. And I think this is the best example of High School is Hell. Mm-hmm. Or the idea of taking something that we all experienced in high school and escalating it so that we can explore it further. Obviously, I have a very personal connection to this episode, as we discussed. I just absolutely love it. I actually, before I I rewatched these, thought that was going to be my most favorite. And then upon rewatching Prophecy Girl, I realized, actually, that's pretty damn strong. Yeah. So, Out of Mind, Out of Sight gets second place. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's open the books on the Sunnydale High School yearbook, (laughs) season one, to explore our season one class awards. Yay! Let's get on that weird half float and make these announcements. Oh, no. Make sure, are the men in in black paying attention? Hello, over here. Thank you. you. Ten random kids with backpacks? Great. We're all set. There's definitely members of the press somewhere. Thank you. So, what is your vote for the most improved character in season one? I think this is hands down. There's only one it can be, and that's Angel. Agreed! <laughs> yes, because... And for some of these, I want to have joke answers. But this one, I, I can't even make a joke oh. answer, because there's no question that from the smarmy, little, smirky, whatever mustache <laughs> of a person he was in in the first couple episodes, or a vampire he was... By the I was end of the say, season, he's not a. He doesn't have a mustache. But he is a mustache of a person. I don't know what that means. He's just like a little decoration on the top of somebody's lip that doesn't mean anything. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I actually get that. Who then actually turns into a hero? Yes, I will say for this, this for Angel and for the writers who wrote about him, at least he does improve. Yeah. Like you know, you, before we get to the episode, Angel. I mean, what the hell? And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, breath of fresh air, good, yeah. we're moving on, we're learning what to do with this guy. Mm-hmm. I will say the runner-up for this award is Xander. Yes, as well, I'd say, yeah, as a person, he's the most improved. Yes. As a character, Angel just starts to make a lot more sense and be more right. interesting. correct. Yeah. And who is your nominee for Class Clown? Uh, well, I have one and then a very close runner-up. Okay. Uh, Class Clown, I've got to go with Xander. He makes a okay. vampire bat joke. Come on. <laughs> Maybe it's a vampire bat? Come on. Okay. Um, and then my uh, second place, very close, is the nightmare clown from Xander's dreams. <laughs> but he's in not nightmares. funny. But oh, he is a class clown. Just, he's a clown. Yeah, I can, <laughs> he's in the classroom. I can see him standing up in the back, uh, background. Objection! Objection! <laughs> so my vote for class clown was actually Sid the dummy. Oh, okay. If it weren't for Sid, Morgan's act would not have been funny. <laughs> And a lot of Xander's jokes fall a little flat for me. Well, I think that that's part of being the class cloud is that you feel the need to speak up in class, even if you're not necessarily sure. always the funniest. What is your vote for most likely to succeed? I'm going to have to go with Willow. I said the same. Yes, because she's one of the smartest characters. She's also good with computers, which unlike Giles, who uh, refuses to even smell them, I feel like Willow is very ready for the future, at least as, as far as the first season goes. She's definitely 
on the right track to be like a dot cam millionaire if she Absolutely. wants to be. Yeah. And season one's pretty clear. She's going places. Mm-hmm. And I think with the confidence that she's gaining as being a member of the Scooby gang, exactly. it's actually made her prospects even better. Oh, something I didn't mention, and I believe it was Prophecy Girl, she is wearing an actual Scooby shirt. She is? Yes. Oh. She, she has her Mondo bottle, and she's wearing a shirt that's actually Scooby-Doo. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so I do have a, a second place for most likely to succeed, and that is Marcy, because I feel like she's going to be real good as an invisible assassin. I, mean, I do. I do think she'll be very like, good at it. She seems really excited about it. She's already yep. shown promise in murdering people. She's willing to go to really crazy serial killer territory to do it. Just so a little bit of training. Just a great. little bit of training. Uh, so our next category is the uh, most likely to be famous. Uh, what did you have for that guy? I had Marcy. Oh. Because I can see her being in a Jason Bourne type situation. I think she's going to be a very successful spy. Mm -hmm. I think she's going to be the top spy in her spy school. And all the other spies are going to talk about her. She's going to win spy awards. (laughs) Well, I think... I think in order to be a successful spy, it's all about not being famous. To not, I mean, not to like your handlers and to the other spies. Okay. I, I feel like that, that she would in my book be the least likely to be famous because you can't even see her. Well, fine. What was your choice? <laughs> so I have, uh, my number one and a runner up. My number one is, uh, Cordy because I feel like she's the, the kind of person who could get a reality show yeah. made about her and her fancy rich life uh, she could be like a proto Kim Kardashian yep and then my number two because I think he could do a great act if he hadn't died with a horrible groan Sid okay yeah. sure because previously had- mentioned we talked about when I did a puppet show that um, you never really get like an ovation for being uh Doing a dummy act. But did you have a real talking, walking dummy? No. I think if he if he went for it, he could have put down the, uh, you know, demon slaying business. I think they would have killed it with fire. <laughs> All right. What is your vote for best dressed? Uh, this one, I do not have runner up. Just straight up Giles. That's a joke. <laughs> that is a... No. no. He has the most timeless style. Tweed. All the tweed. I know. Tweed, tweed, and he tweed. looks great in it. Okay. No, it is clearly Buffy in Prophecy Girl. <sighs> okay. I get that that one outfit is pretty cool, but she also makes some real fashion faux pas. That weird scarf she's wearing in a, an Out of Sight, Out of Mind, where it's like a blue scarf that's like tied like... Maybe she Force wants Violet. to be a flight attendant. Okay. You don't know. We don't know everything about her dreams. So this is where we have the biggest divide, of course, and the most important category, best dressed. Best dressed. What about worst dressed? Uh, worst dressed, I'm going to have to go with Xander, because he makes some real choices this season. Crushed brown velvet shirt. <laughs> that, I mean, you can't, you can't go any lower than that. I think in the series as a whole, if you take the whole series, mm-hmm. Xander is the worst dressed. Okay. And it's, I think it's actually like one of his character traits. In season one, the worst dressed is Moloch because he puts on oh my God. a robot costume. That is my number two. I am not even kidding you. That was my runner up because that is a dumb, dumb costume. <laughs> and you see in, okay, in the world of the show, it's a dumb robot suit to put on. Uh, I'm so glad that we agreed on that. I was so proud of that answer. <laughs> okay. Oh. Best couple. So my runner-up, Master and the Anointed One, 
Ew. No. Uh, What's your first choice? I'm just vetoing that. What's the next one? Um, I don't mean like a romantic couple. I No, just um, no. But my first one, because I could never get on board with Buffy Angel, is actually, even though you don't see them as an active couple, Angel and Darla. So I feel like you do oh, feel a lot of that history there. Yeah. And like that's that's some of the kind of uh, best back and forth and the best tension, both, you know, dramatically and, you know, sexually, that I feel like they make a really good couple on that and really believable that they were, you know, everything to each other for however many years. Good answer. Mine is Giles and Jenny. Yeah. Also, they're not technically a couple yet. I was thinking about them, and that's why I didn't they're put them so on. They're so cute. They are adorable. They're just, they're little flirtiness. I love mm. it. And it's just like, I love a nerd couple, and they're so nerdy. She's a techno-pagan, and he's a watcher. Opposites attract. It's like a <laughs> meet cute thing. And our last award, biggest party animal. Uh, my answer for this is Catherine. That's Amy's oh, mom. Yeah. From Rich. Yeah. Because she right. seems real into the social scene. She's having a lot of fun. And I feel like there's definitely going to be some school parties where somebody gets drunk and takes out the trophies and like tries to drink out of them. So she's even going to be a party oh, animal yeah. in our horrible living death. Oh, God. My vote is for Owen. Because <laughs> by the end of his episode, he's ready to break in a building <laughs> and get in a bar fight oh, and get crazy. He's some kind of animal. It's totally Owen. Oh, oh, that just makes me sad to even think about that character existing. (laughs) I'd like to take this moment to remember those that we lost in season one. Our season one in memoriam. We remember Jesse McNally. Do we? (laughs) 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 Darla. Sid the dummy. And Principal Flutie. Oh. oh. That's one actually makes me sad. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to say about season one? Uh, no. I mean, I am I have not changed my mind yet that this is still my least favorite season. But that's kind of like saying it's the least favorite gold coin to receive for free. It's still wonderful. But from my memories of all the other seasons, it's still my least favorite as a season. There's some great spots in it, but... We'll, we'll have to wait and see how I feel about it from then on. It is not my least favorite season. Mm-hmm. It is down there. Yeah. But I, I can see how it is for other people. I can see how it might be hard for other people to get into the show. But the, season one just has the campiness factor mm-hmm. that the show loses later. That, like, even when some episodes were bad, when you had some duds, when mm-hmm. things got weird and you've got Adam and stuff's happening... <laughs> I just hold on to that campiness factor of, I'll laugh at it. It's yeah. fine. Sometimes I'm laughing with the show, with the mm-hmm. campiness. Sometimes I'm laughing at it because there's... Big robot monster. <laughs> a big robot monster. There's cavemen drunk. But this season, at least, always hold on to that campiness. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the Sunnydale Stacks. Please like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sunnydale Stacks to ask us questions or share your own opinions and memories about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher, and join us next time when we dust off When She Was Bad and Some Assembly Required when we get lost in the Sunnydale Stacks.